Service radio. Full service radio. Full service. Full service. Full service. Full service radio. Full service radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Hi everyone, I am Sema from Yemen and I'm here with Lilia from Algeria. Thank you guys for tuning in to District Durkas. This is our fourth episode. We have been broadcasting and recording live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. This is full service radio. So a Durka from Yemen, that's me, and a Durka from Algeria. Aloha. That's Lilia. Living in the District of Columbia, we get together to decipher the Middle Eastern experience in the capital of the United States. Right now, we're in Adams Morgan, and we're going to have to talk about a few things, but our topics genuinely include feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, socialism, etc., and all the prisms and schisms in between. So if you're listening to us every week, we actually were off last week because one of our hosts was sick. How are you feeling today? I'm better. Not there yet, but definitely... So it's amazing because I, I can't hear it, but she was actually very ill and she pulled through for this episode. So thank you for being here. Dirk Power. Um, so today's episode is going to be about... It's going to be about, well, what is a Durka, according to Hollywood? And in my experience, if you watch all the movies that I've watched, a Durka is a towel head, a rag head, camel jokey, a goat fucker. Right. That's stuck between an imaginary place that's loosely inspired by the 1001 Night, Aladdin, lamps, and a dusty place, generally a desert. So before, before we get into this episode, I'm a little cautious that, you know, we're not preaching entire political correctness to an extreme, but we are trying to get an accurate depiction. Yeah, I'm just trying to talk about what I've seen, like the, right. the, the repetitiveness of, of these archetypes. It's a limited perspective that yeah. they have, right? And so. in those deserts, of course, you have hordes of um, um, just angry, angry people who want to blow shit up or rich uh, sheikh yeah. people. The rich things. ones are always, you know, if there's like a big party or anything, there's always like a person with, uh, you know, like a dressed in a dress and like a guy who's dressed in pretty much golf clothing with yeah. a bag of money. And I mean, I've identified with men, women, people from different minority groups, ethnicities. I have never identified with an Arab in a, in a Hollywood movie. That's just never happened. Right. So, so it's, it's do you think, you know, funny enough, do you think that when Arabs come to America, they try, we've talked about this in our first episode, that we try to kind of live up to their expectations in a way? I feel like in D.C. specifically, like in the in the clubbing scene, I think some guys turn, you know, Durka Hollywood style on purpose so that they can kind of attract more women, especially at the club. I don't know, because if they were to achieve that, um, one of my first like, oh, what the moment watching a movie was like Independence Day. And uh, they were just showing many regions and how they were reca- reacting to the extraterrestrial invasions. And there's this moment where they show like Iraq and I'm like, yes, us represented. And you see like a bunch of kids barefoot in their dress with goats just uh, running around. Right. So this is a cradle of civilization, like one of the largest city in the Arab world, like Baghdad. And it's just dust and and dusty kids running barefoot. So I don't know if the people in the club were wearing dresses and had goats and were barefoot and were... La, 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 la. But <laughs> no, I was talking more about like the showing off the money aspect, even though they don't necessarily have money, but pretending to live up to that, you know, we're super wealthy. I mean, you have songs called Arab Money that's constantly mentioned in like rap music and trap music. Everybody, you know, refers to it 
it's a thing you know if you're arab i think a lot of people when i say hi i'm from yemen they're like oh so where is that exactly oh it's uh, it's an arab country oh so you you guys have oil and it's like actually no yemen doesn't really have oil surprise surprise um yeah and money so is the kindest of the stereotype because money is like international that's that's kind of how they accept uh dubai and 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 things that they would not really integrating their lifestyle like a lifestyle like Dubai because of money because money is so that is a recurring theme that we have, have you know where we like see that they look at us that we have money and we're like okay we may have some of us may have money some of us are poor we're just like people here some are wealthy some are poor and, and that's just the way it is as a matter of fact I was kind of reading statistics about poverty and one of the things that really shocked me is that Saudi Arabia's poor are dirt poor like they're so dirt. so like they're so poor like the amount of wealth that they have like the gap between the wealthy and and the poor is huge and and those people are never ever portrayed either in arab media or in western media and you have to read about them in like statistics and in books and it's like that's shocking you know um there's actually a book uh, there's a book i'm sorry there's a movie on netflix that i've been meaning to watch and it's like a, a a saudi funny movie that's been getting really great reviews of a guy who's just like living his life and I, I feel like I want to watch more of that because one, it's an independent film. It's made locally. It's telling a story of someone where they're not playing into stereotypes. They're just more complex than that. You know, well, I cannot wait for that because honestly, watching movies and watching how Arabs and Muslims are portrayed is like a total out of body experience. So what's the first movie that you saw where you were like traumatized after it? I would say traumatized because I, I felt that traumatized. Way well, the independence was a sting, but what really was a sting was So I was in college and um, the war in Iraq was going on. We were in one of the Fallujah wars. And um, so I skated down to see these two skateboard, not longboard. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to skaters. (laughs) But um, anyway, so I was meeting up with these two guys and I had such a vital crush on the two of them. And so we went to their dorm room and they were like, oh, you want to watch a movie? Okay. So we watched a movie, and the movie is The Three Kings. Right. All right, you have to tell me about it. Yeah. I'm not familiar with the movie. So the first minute is just... Well, the, the story is about the first Gulf War. Okay. So it has Ice Cube and, and uh, Mark Wahlberg and George Clooney as the three protagonists. And the war is over. Sounds like a great cast. The, the U.S. has won against Saddam Hussein. They've defeated the invasion in Kuwait, and, but they've found a map to a bunker full of Kuwaiti gold and they're trying to, you know, be gold diggers, basically. But the whole intro scene is just slurs, like Arabs getting slaughtered, beaten, disrobed, called God knows what words. And I was with these two guys that I really, I was so fond of them and they were very woke. I mean, they were getting chummy with a Japanese student about Pearl Harbor. You know, one of them was half from Ecuador, so he had the whole, you know, Latin American uh, awareness. Uh, he, his best friend from Liberia. So he got like the whole world covered. But when it came to Durkas and Arabs, he was completely tone deaf. And when I started voicing uh, my indignation, he was like, I don't like loud mouths. I do not like loud mouths. So hold on. The movie was doing that, but there's, they were like encouraging the characters to, yeah, yeah, they to were, curse uh, like the, the Arabs in the movie to like, so they didn't see it. It was like more pernicious than this is that they didn't see what was wrong with the with movie. happening. That. Yeah, and okay. they were like, what is wrong with this girl? Like they had no context to understand why I could be felt so violated once because I'm losing two crushes and and crushed by the movie itself and its representation of of Arabs and uh, and something as the second Gulf War is happening so yeah. as you know so um, like Saddam was still in power then he was still alive it wasn't like the uh, the second or like the last war that the probably US got actually I would love to play like a clip from this movie uh, uh, I think Jack has it lined yes. up for us let's listen Great. to it everything is cool nobody's gonna hurt you just relax sir you're gonna have to take the turban off as well okay you ain't been torturing anyone in Kuwait Abdul what about you motherfucker you ain't been torturing making them hysterical stop pointing that thing you're gonna get us in trouble 
Just relax. We want everybody hey, face hey, down. Come on. Okay, go. Get down. What is your fucking problem? Could you act in a more professional manner, please? You're making him crazy. I want to be professional. He just wouldn't take his fucking rags off. Pay attention to how it's done. Excuse me, sir. Listen. <laughs> sir, we're going to need you to disrobe like all the other towel heads, okay? <laughs> Oh, I hate to see it come to this. Strip him down. Take your fucking clothes off. Come on, Whoa, 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 Troy, 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 come here, check this out. Freaky thing here, boss. There's a document in that guy's ass. You got a classified situation. You think he ate it? No, it wouldn't come on perfect like that if he ate it. Pull it out, Private. Pull it out. Man, I didn't join the army to pull paper out of people's asses. No, sir, not what I signed up for. Oh. Yeah, so my immediate reaction, one, like they present it like such a normal situation. Like I'm just asking this man to remove his turban off because everybody else is being checked for security. Now, first thing is like, Speaking to an American audience, that makes sense. Like, take off your hat when you walk into, you know, so-and-so. Turban? Yo, this is the army. They don't have turbans. Well, yes, of course they don't wear turbans. But the idea is that they portray the request as normal. But then the idea is, like, what if whatever head garment you're wearing has significant meaning? And here they confuse an Arab with a Sikh. Correct. Who, you know, has long hair, protects their hair under the turban. It's not really polite to ask them to remove the turban. So not only are they confusing things, they're ignorant about it. <laughs> and then right away, I think the sounds that we were hearing were supposed to be Arabs in either Kuwait or in Iraq or even some Farsi, if we may, if it's too close to Iran. But like whatever that guy was speaking was none of those things. Right. There was like noise in the background. Yeah, so they, just yelling. you know, come on, like get get some like correctness like use the right language when you're you know like you wouldn't do this with spanish right because you, you have really, enough audience to and know really a map in the ass that i don't really want to touch because i'm not really sure the context of that no what it's just humiliation it's like oh like it's in the guy's ass it's you know at the same time the the whole abu Ghraib scandal was going on and then you have this movie who's so hip about well let me let me be like a devil's advocate here a little bit i think that the minute you put a movie about war all ethics go like are are free. Like if if they were just in a country visiting as tourists and this is how they acted with people, then I think people would be like, wow, this was a really bad scene. Like I don't really enjoy watching this in a film, but because it's wartime and the Americans have to win and they have to, you know, you heard their voice. They were so calm. They were talking with each other. They're chill while there's like this chaotic situation about them. They have to show Americans as heroes. And I think when it's wartime, People feel that everything is fair. I, f- I differ with that point of view because I feel like this is only like when you talk about the Gulf War or maybe at the time like when Rambo was, you know, about the Vietnam War. But in general, like European movies are very careful with their depiction of war. It's a very traumatizing um, event that you try to represent like the two painful sides of it it's not something that's taken lightly or in a cavalier so talking about european films only only arabs are treated like this in war like like freaking cowards on the floor we don't even know why these soldiers there's no idea of like why are they in this desert why are they inflicting isn't I mean, there's there like enjoyment in the humiliation of it, though, exactly. right? Exactly. But isn't that the same kind of mentality that did, in fact, lead to Abu Ghraib prison? Yeah. Like, and, in Iraq? Isn't and, that the you feel, same mentality? And you feel conflicted because, I mean, personally, you love Ice Cube. I love Ice Cube. I do. I love the funky bunch, Mark Wahlberg. So it's this constant conflict between, like, people you grew up with and, like, cultural references that you cherish. And then you feel a little betrayed. You're like, oh, really? So okay. I, have, I have a very similar feeling to that. So the first movie that hurt me, and I've never been, I've never been to the States. I, I've never been to America till I was 17. And this movie came out when I was really young, like before I was even a teenager. And it hurt my feelings. The movie hurt my feelings. I loved Hollywood. I loved the idea of America, you know, the idea of like movies and cool people. And just like, I really wanted to go there. And then I watched this movie and it was called uh, Rules of Engagement. And I'm not talking about the series. I'm talking about the movie. Damn. Um, and 
the person who was in it was Samuel L. Jackson, which apparently everybody loves. And I wanted that movie like ruined Samuel L. Jackson for me. Uh, the movie was about, uh, uh, you know, it was filmed in Morocco and the buildings were like it, they, they filmed it to take place in Sana'a, which was the capital that I lived in at the time. And so the the guy, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is the main guy. He's a patriot and he's going down to Yemen to do a rescue operation from the American embassy and the rescue operation goes wrong. But the movie was just so crazy in that like the embassy was in the middle of like the historical city of Yemen and that like nobody was like modern. Everybody was just like living in the past decade that like doesn't exist. I mean, that would be true of Yemen now due to economic like just because of the war and everything that's happening. But at that time, Yemen was an awesome place. It was full of tourists. People would walk around in the streets. And so to see him just like come down, and all the Yemenis are evil, just trying to kill him because he's American. It made absolutely no sense. And he is there like the hero trying to rescue people from the embassy. And it just, it made me feel weird, you know? Cause like, why would we want to kill you? Why would we just want to kill you? Cause you're American. And why are you making us look like the enemy? Yeah, like that, a, that movie was a bloodbath. It was really brutal. The way they shot everybody in that courtyard. It was yeah. like just body on top of bodies on top of bodies. It, they're not even people. Pe- these people get no backstories. Well, the good news is, is that it was rated at 36% for Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so thank you, watchers, for realizing that it's a ridiculous movie. But at the same time, like, what? Yeah. Like, I mean, there was a formula put in place for action films in America, right? We want a foreign enemy... We want an American patriot who is the hero who's going to fight and like there's going to be a challenge, right? Something is going to go wrong, but then they're going to probably be the hero ultimately in the end and America conquers all. Yeah, there's it's what we call like the enemy deprivation. So what you get is after you're done having your Germans and your Russians as enemies in your movie, I feel like Arabs are, you know, the next Russian whatever or Germans. Like we've become the ultimate villain and that's a good point you make about like the medieval times mm-hmm. it's like for some reason arabs are always stuck in some like past that doesn't exist and they still have their sabers and and turbans so one thing about these movies though is i feel like they Where are the they cities? somehow were predicting a future of some sort and it's kind of weird of me to say that because like i don't have anything to prove it besides my opinion but for example the movie with saddam hussein they won over iraq saddam Correct. was killed later on you have the hostage situation Rules in Yemen. Of engagement. That's Libya. I mean, no, but right now, too, like there was, you know, just a year ago, President Trump sent uh, like a mission, like a Navy team um, to go in and just free somebody. How or, like, about commit- the siege? How no, no, hold on. A year ago, they went in and then there was a Navy SEAL that was killed in there. And it was a huge deal. Nine days into President Trump's presidency. Because they tried to carry out an operation. It wasn't a rescue mission, but they tried to carry out an operation against terrorists and it went wrong. They even lost the plane there. But this happens over and over again. Yeah, the siege predicted 9-11. It happened. It, the movie was made in 98 and it's exactly play by play. Are we? I mean, that's the thing. Like, Durka thing, conspiracy theories. I mean, I don't want to get too much into conspiracy theories because we love that shit. It's never our fault, but um, I'm just saying, you know, like it's kind of ironic how they tell the story uh, where it seems kind of offensive and wrong, and then it kind of happens. Like to me, now Arabs are more likely to walk barefoot and to be dressed in bad garments because of the war they've been witnessing, because of the turmoil and the just the collapse of their civilizations but back then we were off in good times like the 90s were were kind of solid you know yeah well not in algeria but yeah i see what you're saying it wasn't like that oh mentioning algeria when you mentioned it like european films that reminds me of the battle of algiers beautiful movie i'm forever grateful see that's the way to make a a war movie with dignity when when you realize what's at stake it's not i mean to me it's it's a great study of guerrilla warfare right like how do militias come together why are they even grouping together what what are they fighting for uh what's at stake it was kind of like a very accurate depiction of of the operations on that level but at the same time i walked out of there watching this 1966 black and white film thinking that this director is i have to watch every film that he made well i don't think he made a lot but he made a few um it was ponte carvo right yeah gilles ponte carvo i mean I want to see them. I mean, this guy is ultimately like he's, he's an Italian Jew who was able to tap in into something that wasn't part of his own 
upbringing or identity, but he was close to as a watcher. Maybe that's the point. Maybe there's no agenda in what he did, but to convey, you know, like what what was the war? And what I mean is like maybe all these Hollywood movies are so... Um, like there's a link to their policy in the Middle East. And so it kind of has to echo it. So maybe there's an agenda there where you have to picture Durkas or terrorists so, so think, that when you wage you war, then agenda? people are like the Turkey's ready to go, to go in the oven. You think there's Why an agenda? Why is it a Turkey reference that I make? That's the second time. Anyway. Are you, are you hungry? <laughs> no, I don't know. Let's just say Turkey's country. So, the, wait, you think Hollywood has an agenda? No, I don't think it has an agenda. I think it helps when you're when you have so much so many troops in the Middle East to, to you know have Arabs as Indians. You know, uh, the American have Indians. Have you seen like, Walk, like the far dog. West? Like what what when when you see any movies about the war in the Middle East, it's basically like Indians and cowboys, and we're the Indians. Except we don't get that dignified chief full of wisdom. We just get like crazy mofos who are, by the way, always incompetent at what they're trying to do. They're like these villains that get disarmed so quickly. We don't know why they want to kill. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Have you seen Wag the Dog? Wag the Dog? No, I haven't it's, seen Wag the Dog. It's this movie about how, like, politicians in Hollywood, politicians in Hollywood work together to distract people from what's going on politically by making a film about something. It's kind of great. Because, you know, usually it's like Wag... You can't wag the dog, you wag the tail, but it was the other way around. It was kind of, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but um, I think that's kind of an interesting theory of like how Hollywood plays in into politics. But for right now, let's take a little break. Yeah. We're talking about movies and portrayals of Durkas. Let's take a five-minute break and come back. Yes, please. Catch let's my do breath. It. We'll be back. Hi guys, we are back. This is District Durkas. Durka Durka, Muhammad Jihad. All right, guys, this is full service radio. We've been broadcasting and recording live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. We are back from a brief segment where we're talking about portrayals of Durkas in Hollywood. So I'm Sama from Yemen and a Durka from Algeria. That's Lilia. Aloha. We are living in DC and we are talking about. Middle Eastern experience in the United States. So we usually talk about feminism, sexism, terrorism, absolutism, atheism, monotheism, socialism, etc. And all the prisms and schisms in between. So right before the break, we were talking about whether Hollywood has an agenda or not and how some movies really did a disservice to like a huge part of the world by kind of lumping them together and by portraying them as kind of savage creatures who they didn't deserve respect on the same level that the main actors did. Um, so Lilia was talking about um, two movies. Two movies. Actually, if, if you want to get into the second clip, Movie. The True Lies. So, yeah, yeah, we have that lined up, right? You have killed our women and our children, bombed our cities from afar, like cowards? 
and you dare to call us terrorists? Now, the oppressed have been given a mighty sword with which to strike back at their enemies. Unless you, America, pulls all military forces out of the Persian Gulf area immediately and forever, Crimson Jihad will rain fire on one major U.S. city each week until our demands are met. First, we will detonate one weapon on this uninhabited island as a demonstration of our power and Crimson Jihad's willingness to be humanitarian. However, if these demands are not met, Crimson Jihad will rain fire on one major American city each week. My goodness. Jeez. So first of all, the word Jihad. I had never heard the word Jihad until I've seen this movie or any movies about Jihad. Like I had to learn Jihad by way of like Hollywood because this was not a word spoken. That was not something that was in the mental or colloquial or social political landscape that I that I grew up in. Well, you know, you know how I learned Jihad it was in school. And it's part, you know, we had religion classes. It was part of what happens in the country. And the way that it was taught to us was that jihad is you attempting to better the world around you. And it would in no way, shape or form include harming anyone. It was actually in the shape of intervention in the sense that you see someone hurting an animal, you would tell that person to not hit the animal. And that would be a form of jihad where you were trying to do something better. And actually, the, the hardest type of jihad is actually trying to improve oneself yeah and so it, it's like struggle. this noble concept where you're trying to be this you know you're struggling with yourself to be a better person and then it became flipped on its head and now it's just used for suicide operations or any kind of criminal activity where you attack an enemy that isn't muslim Oh, or yeah, is even today it's like even attacking Muslims who don't believe what you believe like that's that's how bad jihad has become it's kind of tragic like it even really, at a time of true lies there was no such thing as jihad on that level jihad on that level like but people were again, nationalistic like anything that happened in the world was like okay we are the people of this and we don't want it was very nationalistic it was you know the 70s the 80s there well, was no such thing as the jihad as we understand it now What's funny is I'm looking again at uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and that, too, did get a bad review. It was 37%. Thanks, Rotten Tomatoes, again. People, you are awesome. You know what's good and what's not. But what's ironic to me is I'm reading about it. It's actually about Bosnians and Serbia. Like, what? Of course. I mean, you know, they're Muslim. They I know, the but like, treatment. what? They, they, oh, my God. Like, this is so wrong on so many levels. The reason why I picked this uh this segment, this clip, is because when you listen to that crimson jihad, like, come on, dude, like, you know the word crimson? I yeah. think not. So, like, bloodshed, bloodshed, yeah. bloodshed. But anyway, is that what he's saying is basically, like, you could hear it. It's like, yeah, could you have, could you have an opinion, an anti-imperialistic opinion that's valid sure you could but the problem with a movie like true lies is that it renders such an opinion like let's say you're a Durka and you don't and it doesn't sit well with you you know to have a war there so you guys so, just to let you know lilia just stopped talking because we are broadcasting live from a hotel and people actually sometimes stop and take pictures of us and we're sitting here having a very intense conversation and then it's kind of weird to be looked at like that <laughs> but it's awesome because I mean, we're here to do this and talk honestly as much as we can. So sorry to interrupt no, you. Not at all. Just it's want to let people know the dynamic that we work from. And so when you have that opinion, let's say, you know, you're, you're, you have something to say about the foreign policy in the Middle East, then you can't say it because in every movie, even if he's right, even if what he says we don't think is like so crazy, the fact is it comes out from a terrorist mouth. So it nullifies everything. everything. And that's right. something that I had to struggle all the time in college where I would hear outlandish yeah. things like in foreign affairs. Oh, there was this sheikh who decided that Islam was against all forms of scientific uh, advancements. And that's why they're so backwards. I froze in my seat because you don't know what to, you don't know what to yeah. say. And you always feel like you're going to be suspicious. Like if you have an opinion on the Gulf War, suspicious. If you have an opinion on anything that regards not getting bombed or maybe we can do it differently, you become 
that Durka in True Lies is like, what are you saying? Listen, so coming from a country where, in fact, there are bombs falling on your head and stuff like that, is it really that far off that somebody is going to be angry about that? Like, if somebody is being hurt by another country, there is going to be anger. Now, the, the, the fault of the media is, is the minute they're hurt, they become like savages just like them and they want to hurt them back and fight them back. They don't portray them as, as people who just are suffering but rather ones with extreme vengeance and are ready to hurt other people they, they become they make them such villains that even if you think they might have a point you're like no just 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 kill that dude he's too he, it's too much it's just like american sniper oh uh, god don't yeah american sniper i mean he's sniping this guy and there's this guy called the butcher the butcher never existed according to the sniper wife's memoir but they created this character Um, for the sole purpose of making the Durka so monstrous that even if they were bombed and oppressed and maybe it wasn't right to invade them, but look at them, it's like they're animals, so maybe we should be there and like teaching them the ways. You nullify any sort of dialogue. Yes, it is. So yeah, that they know better than everybody else. I get that. But the thing is with the American sniper, I think the director although he still used similar stereotypes, really developed the story internally, right? Like they're a team, they won't leave anyone behind. And he really developed the characters on that level where it was about the team. It was about Clint Eastwood reclaiming his cowboy past using Fallujah to do cowboy and Indians all over again. That's all I see in there. I mean, so let's talk about a movie that's coming up. But you never felt that way? You never felt like you wanted to speak about something and then you were afraid that people are going to think you're a freaking terrorist or like you're no, I censor a dictator myself all apologist? The time. I censor myself all the time because it's so easy. Sometimes when you feel things, especially after the war, I feel so hurt about losing my home country. And you walk around in a place, you know, and you're far away from that place and you're safe. You're thankful that you're safe. You worry about your friends, your family, your entire you know, the place that I grew up in, memories are shattered and I don't know how to recompensate that, you know? And you walk around with this anger and you walk around, like sometimes I remember when the war first started, I didn't feel like going out with my friends as much. And I, I think that my friends didn't understand my behavior and it seemed at the time that I was just being more withdrawn and that I'm acting, you know, like a, like a dark, you know, psycho or whatever. But like, it's like, no, those things affect us. And I have to walk out every day in a place where nobody here feels what I feel. And I have to just act like everything is fine. And so I can't just walk around being like crying and being like, Oh my God, they're killing everyone in my, like, you know, everything that I knew is destroyed. Like, while a part of me feels that I, you know, it would be, my impulse to sometimes react that way i know that it's socially inappropriate because it wouldn't it nobody would understand what it is you know and so yeah i feel like movies don't touch that angle and they won't because they haven't like especially here in america nobody knows that kind of suffering really you know i mean Depends who you ask. I mean, you can't make that generalization. No, I'm talking about like war and like destruction by another country completely taking over your like your home, like absolute chaos that hasn't existed. Like in America, it's a pretty stable place, you know, like they have a law and system in place. And as a matter of fact, as as critical as many people are of the judicial system in America, I think it's the best thing I've ever like like I've, it puts things in their place like it protects me as a person here it protects so many people and as flawed as it is to me it is the most ideal system that i've come to live under you know so yeah and i there mean there you have it the <laughs> the complexity of how you can feel <laughs> about like the movies but the reality of like being you know from two countries at the same time and you know yeah being fond of I mean, the thing is about America is that the people are so great. Like when you get to know the people, (laughs) like they're a lot of times, even the most like just people are so polite, you know, like, hi, good morning. How are you? They're so pleasant and they're so about any people. That's just weird. I mean, my experience, it's not a generalization about but people are people. They can be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my experience in New York is not the same in D.C. It's like saying, yeah, Hollywood of life. I'm digging at Hollywood for their portrayals of Arabs, but they also bring the goodness of, you know, California culture or whatever. There's so much 
good no, stuff. No, but I'm like saying that compared so to policy, like compared to how you might feel about them strictly from politics, they are in fact not like that, you know? Strictly from how, like what they do in the Middle East and things like that, you can easily vilify Americans, but I don't think they deserve that because they don't, they're not part of the policy, right? And I think when depicting movies from Hollywood, it needs to be the same way where it's like, okay, this group is that way, but it doesn't represent everyone. I don't think it's about vilifying so much like Americans, but vilifying Durkas and what can be done, I think is... What, how can you... What's a better way? Like, can we get a doctor in this house? Can we get a family? Yeah. Can we get, so like, somebody having... I actually having, wanted to talk about they, a new can, movie. Can they eat breakfast and, and crack jokes? Can we have that? Can we have, like, a Cosby show? So, not yet. Okay? So, the most advancement I've seen in Hollywood is of, like, actors of Indian descent, right? There's now, like, an Indian in almost every show, and it's kind of great. They're, like, the new token. Like, they're the new black characters in movies. And I can't wait for our turn to come. And they're going to, of course, be confused about what kind of Durka to bring because there's so many types of us. And They'll bring the hijabi. So let me tell you about that. Uh, there's a new show that started on TV, and I watched a few episodes just because one of the characters was a girl with a hijab. And, of course, it had to do with security and terrorism. Like, of course, they still have to sell us something. So the TV show is called Quantico. And the main actress or the main Quantico. figure of the show is actually Indian. Who protect, you know, she is, you know, uh, an American agent training in Virginia in Quantico. And what was interesting is there was a character called Nama Amin, who's actually played by a Palestinian Egyptian actress. Um, and her name is Yasmin Al Masri. And she's so beautiful and she's so good at acting. But the show is complicated in that the first few episodes, you think that you're seeing this girl with like a hijab and she's training to be like an agent. But then it turns out that she has a twin sister and her twin sister also wanted to be in Quantico. And so they've been pretending to be one person just to like, yeah. But then here's the interesting part. They make it even more complex where one of the twins, once everybody knows about them, so one is called Nama and now the other one is called Rania. Once the the other twin becomes known to everybody else, you know, in Quantico, she's allowed to kind of stay with her sister and whatever. But then she decides to remove her headscarf. And her sister then is like, no, this is what we know. This is our religion. The other girl's like, no, I want to be this. I want to do whatever I want. And they represent this conflict that I feel like most women would kind of have if they are brought up conservative. You know, which one do you want to be? But I I don't know how I feel about her character yet because, like, I don't know if they're going to make one of her, one of the twins, a terrorist yet in this show. Yeah, they might. But I do want to say that it is something advanced in that one they selected an actress of the right descent to play the right kind of you know role and then they gave her complexity beyond just a simple thing right like she's a complex character and because it's a series they're able to develop that uh, in a better way than a movie you know because the movie is just like an hour how much time can you really be That's nuanced good because at the time i wanted to be an actor and then I, but I didn't want to be a traitor to the cause because I knew typecasting. And I remember having this heated argument. You mean you didn't want to be an abused woman on TV? No. Come but, on. But I would do the belly dancing because that's hot. Um, so I was having a, this argument with I'd my like Lebanese friend. Too. And he wanted to be an actor as well. And we were having like this ethical conversation about, well, if you're casted as, as a terrorist, would you do it or not? And obviously I'd be like, no. And you can't you do it. And he was like, well, you know, you got to do what you got to do, blah, blah. And I was like, ah, you freaking traitor. And guess his first role was uh, he played one of the terrorists in that plane that we don't really know what happened to it yeah. on 9-11 yeah. from National Geographic. Like he was one of the dudes in the plane going like, yola, yola, Well, how is his acting career now? Well, it's, uh, it's non-existent. But well, there he, you go. But he did it. Like he participated That's okay, I think in the he, charade. He wanted, and it makes sense to me, people who are seeking their own goal, right? Like he wants to be a famous actor. So he's thinking this is nothing. And if I make it and if I get one foot in, I'll make it. You know, I think that's how most people think. And there you go. He did it and he didn't make it. I'm sorry to hear about your friend. <laughs> but um, this reminds me of that other movie on HBO, which I'm forgetting the name of. And it was like a Pakistani young guy who goes to prison because he took some drugs with a girl. Oh, the night before or something? The night of. The night of. Oh, my God. That one was great. Yeah. Like, it kept us hanging. The, the character's complex. He's also very innocent and doe-eyed. I mean, remember? Oh, you weren't here when he came to D.C. 
Lenny and I went to see Ew. him perform. You went on a date with him? Oh no, please. He's so he's so calm and conservative and we have people watching us again. This is <laughs> very strange. Um but anyways, we have you know, he came in, he has like he raps with another guy in New York and they have a band way before he became an actor and they came and performed. And then it uh, turned out that my our friend Lenny knew uh, his sound music producer. And we ended up bringing him to a Durka restaurant, kind of, uh, Compass Rose. And um, we just sat. And, and it was interesting because he is very shy as an actor. He only ordered green tea. And he sat down and was very withdrawn and very serious, very focused. Did you ask him about typecasting? No, I didn't get to go that far because he seemed very shy, you know, very unlike of, you know, not what you expect of actors. But I think that he he's very possibly changing the image, like the roles that have been casted to him and the way that he does his music and everything like that. He is changing the way that we look at these people. And I love that the movie kind of just left it hanging. But the night of was He's already doing this. And um, what's his name from uh, the Daily Show? But that's more... But Aziz Ansari... Pakistanis, I think people are seeing the distinction. Like, where where is our Durka hero? You mean like an Arab? Like, rewrite a comic and like get us like a hero. Something to be proud about. Like, proud about. So this is what I was going to say. A lot of actors and actor, like actresses who try to break into Hollywood when they're Middle Eastern, or they try to break in through comedy. And they try to do it by like, if we can make people laugh, we'll get, you know, we're going to get casted this way and that way. And it's like, all right. And then they do it, but then their jokes stay politically correct because they don't want to make, you know, they don't want to do that thing that Carl Shar talked to us about, which is Occidentalism, which is something that we're saving for a future episode. But yet, you know, they don't come in and they don't hit they don't hit them hard the way that, you know, for example, there are jokes about stereotypes and race. And for example, like we don't have a comedian who's doing what Dave Chappelle is doing. Right. Dave Chappelle's last performances well, have been extremely racial. Like just to be fair he's been so political lately and so smart and nuanced and and just hilarious like telling the truth through jokes like wow like we need something like that so do you think we're ready for more complex characters Uh, to be honest i think i think americans are ready yeah characters i just need normalcy like the idea that in the middle east people have lunch and they go to dance lessons and they go to school and they have family ties that's that's really if we're talking about solutioning yeah. this it would be just like normal so like do you the- remember when miss america was lebanese this was like two years ago and she's from michigan or not two years ago maybe even three but i remember she was from michigan and she was arab and like she i think the reason she didn't really become an actress and shine into like the spotlight and become a famous person was because she was entirely too normal as an american that she didn't stand out as an arab i think they wanted a more controversial Arab like there were photos of her dancing in clubs she was drinking she was hanging out and I don't think that that like was interesting enough because I remember at the time uh, you know I worked with the television channel and they were saying that they were really pushing hard for her to have her own TV show and no channel picked her up but then at the same time imagine another like you know Miss America trying to get her own show I think she would have a better chance getting a show than like a, a Durka that is far too American or far too similar to what they know, you know? I don't know if that makes sense. Not entirely. I but just, I don't know why it made me think of Shakira. So I don't know where to go with that. Okay. Should we... Shakira is another... Like, she's a half Durka. Yeah. Sh- no, I mean, yes. Who belly dances everywhere. But never... She's got the belly out. But she never claims her Durkaness. And that's more she what does. I was talking about. Never. She sings in Arabic in some of her songs. Quote, this is how we dance in Barranquilla. Barranquilla is in Colombia. Yeah, but it's, it's all Lebanese. In Lebanon. <laughs> so, okay. But it, but it is. It's all like... I never knew that she was anything but Colombian. She's half... So there, I n- I never there it that. is. Her name, Shakira, means that's Jack, our producer. He's awesome. He sits and listens to us all the time. <laughs> so he didn't know that. So I guess a lot of no, people never. don't. Yeah. Selma Hayek never, as well, by the way. She never branded Shakira. Sh- yeah. Shakira never branded herself as Arab. She did to us when she was selling like Ojo uh, Sasi, Min Al Bahrain, Beirut, and yeah. all that. But when she came here and became blonde, that was, that was the end of it. Like there was a hip shaking. You had everything about her. 
kind of reeked I of mean, but this Jack, cultural. Can I ask you something? When you watch Shakira belly dance, you didn't think she might be a Durka? No, I, I mean I had a poster of her, <clears throat> excuse me, on my wall when I was a kid. Like I had a crush on her, but I never would have known. Not that it wouldn't have mattered, but I had no idea. I just but I, I felt Colombian. like just because of the association she of belly branded, dancing, she no. branded it Colombian. She branded herself. De- yeah, I agree. That's definitely how she branded herself. Well, Latin. Well, she grew and up I, in Colombia. It stung me because it was like, God damn it! I'm learning all your moves. Like this is this is our time. Just just say it. Just just say it. Just. And you know, she was like winning Latin Grammys, and I think yeah. whenever she performed on MTV or anything else, it was like through the context of being Latin. Yeah, Latin I think pride. it's easier. That's what I'm saying. It's a lot easier to be Latin in America, although. To be honest, Trump is not. No, but even right that in itself was a struggle, and that's the struggle that she decided to. Uh, but there's so many like represent. American actors and actresses that are of like Arab descent that like Selma mostly Blair, Lebanese. Selma. You know, you know uh, Tony Shahloub who did the Monk on yeah, USA. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's that lady from uh, Will and Grace who's like oh, funny. There's DJ Khaled. I mean, the, the DJ Khaled is he Palestinian? Yes. Okay, and then French Montana. Moroccan. Yeah, he's Moroccan. Why is he calling himself French? I mean, we gotta talk. Vince Vaughn yeah, is Lebanese, right? Vince Vaughn is Lebanese. Yes, he is. He yes, is. he is. Vince Vaughn is Lebanese. That, no my idea. friend who wanted to be an actor, that was kind of his, you know, I can do it. Vince wow. did it. Wow. That's, that's a fact to me. So, yeah. So, there you go. Tons of Durkas. Actually, when I was thinking of movies to talk about today, what I was thinking of, the first thing that came to mind, I was like, I haven't seen this movie. Everybody loves it. I'm going to watch it and talk about it. And it was Casablanca. And I was like, okay, that movie has nothing about Durkas except for the name. It's like Casablanca, but the story is a love story between like white people. It was just, I was like, all right, but you know what? You know what? I'm going to give the Moroccans some credit. They took that movie. They set up a bar in Casablanca that people go to where they see that, like the photos of the actress around like of Ingrid, uh, what's her name? Ingrid Berman. And, they have photos of her everywhere and photos of like the situation. So they attract tourists that way. Like they're still winning on it. And at the same time, so many Arab countries don't allow film crews to come and film because they're so strict. Like they're very like security, security. We can't allow anyone to know anything about our country. But then and what is your agenda? No, but it's not then, like, but it's not like we're shooting movies uh, in like Death Valley. Oh, it's totally it's like understandable. You have like to get you a permit. You have to do all this whole thing. But then Morocco happen. capitalized on it and just like loosened all these restrictions. They're like, all right, you want to film? Come film here. So like taking advantage of the situation to me is kind of a bonus. And then the other movie that I thought of that I have yet to see, but everybody loves it. And I know it's in a book and I think you probably saw it. Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, every Christmas, every Christmas, the story of Lawrence Arabia. That's like this last samurai. It's the white dude. It's a classic. Showing the people their own culture better than them. He champions it and shows them the light, except he doesn't. And he dies somewhere in real life in exiles and nothing gets done. But it's also that idea of like, I think that every, and and this is going to be our next episode for next week. So I'm just going to touch on it very slightly. We're going to talk about the idea like a lot of people go to the Middle East and they want to be Lawrence of Arabia. They want to save us. They want to also understand us and they want to be one of us. Like they want to have that respect. I don't know if they want to understand us or they want to understand themselves through exotic us. Or they want to look like they understand us. (laughs) To me, it's not about understanding. It's really like looking for like a sensation. Like looking for a deeper understanding, you know, going to the Middle East and getting some sort of a, you know, like a mystical value. It's not about understanding because you you have the same thing like in Asia, people going to India, to the ashrams and trying to find. It's a spiritual, it's a pseudo spiritual quest. It's not about understanding. It's about you come there with your prejudice and you try to make it fit. But then they try to be one of us. And safe. But there's no us. But there that's is the no thing. us. Like the us is like a very. It depends uh, on where you go. Exactly, it depends on where you go, and it's us is probably exactly them. Honestly, it's the same thing. We go to the bathroom, we eat, we have hopes and dreams. Like it's the same thing. Do you love the movie or do you not? And, love and the that's movie? the power of like Orientalism is to make us think that somehow that Casablanca landscape exists. It does not. I mean, they romanticize. If anything, you'll find posters of like. American celebrities on our walls and you know it'll, it'll feel more like home than you think Lilia from Algeria do you like Lawrence from Arabia you saw it 
Well, I was subjected to it every Christmas because that's what the French TV always played. And uh, you don't like it? I, I talk to a lot of people. People love that movie. I feel like I feel like I would appreciate it on some level. Uh, there are better Christmas movies that I can think about than like. I mean, I wouldn't recommend out. it for Christmas, but yeah. I think it's a good movie. It nonetheless. was like S- Swan Lake and Lawrence of Arabia. So quickly before we transition to our next segment, this all came about when we have another segment. Yeah, we have our Orientalism Express, which is actually going to be turned on its head this week because we've spent the entire episode kind of trying to do something like Orientalism Express. So um, I was reading M- like NPR news and then there was news about this writer called Jack Shaheen who passed away in July 9th, 2017. And so randomly I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to see what this guy did. Why is everybody remembering him? And he was this author and lecturer on communications. And I started looking him up and he wrote this book in 1984 called The TV Arabs. And it was all based on how it was a book exactly doing what we tried to do this episode mm-hmm. that he kind of went in and documented every single way that Americans kind of have Arabs in the movies. And he did it because his two sons were American and he wanted them to, you know, through his children, he wanted to see how his children understand their own identity. Uh, Jack Shaheen is of Lebanese descent. And then in a few years after that, he did a movie with uh, a guy called Salt Jahali, who's uh, a media or like a communication professor at Amherst University. And the movie is called Real Bad Arabs. And real is R-E-E-L. Get it? Real Bad Arabs. Anyways, I really want to see this documentary and I think it'd be great. Um, but I, I love that this kind of effort is already out there. And had, had we not thought about this. Oh, and it's been there. It, I know, but it's, it's not there. out there. Like, that's the thing. Like, there's so many things out there. But until like the media focuses on it or puts a spotlight on it, it could go all unnoticed, which is a shame. Because there's no reason, there's actually no reason not to at this moment. But it's important considering... My money is on DJ Khaled to make that change. So for Orientalism Expressed, I'm going to tie this to the last conversation. Um, I was watching the Carmichael show. Now we're like the 1001 night. is like, and the next segment is... <laughs> Well, <laughs> interminable give stories it, of give the Durkas. Give it a chance. We put it together. <laughs> so I was watching the Carmichael show and they had an episode about Islamophobia. And I want to say something about this show. It's supposed to be a sitcom. It has a lot of comedy in it. But that episode was so real and probably the bravest thing I've seen done on TV in relationship to how Durkas are portrayed. So the the main characters of the show, I think like Joe and Cynthia, they have a new neighbor move in next door and they're Muslims. And they immediately become like Islamophobic. They're afraid. They don't know how to understand them. They're suspicious of their intentions. They recall 9-11. And then the neighbor gets a package and it gets left outside for too long. And so the neighbors steal it because they wanted to see if it was a bomb. They wanted to check if it was a bomb or it was something. They they took the package. That's clever. But then, you know, Jared Carmichael, who is the main guy on the show, he comes in and he has an honest and open conversation about how fear is dictating people's behaviors and how now we want to build a wall and you know it's it's just a very honest conversation where ultimately they were open to kind of check themselves and open their eyes into what they were doing but i think in a sense this is something that we don't do like islamophobia is a thing being afraid of people from the middle east is a thing let's talk about these things let's not avoid it let's not let's not try to correct let's talk about it like, why are you so afraid? Is that fear, like, if it comes from a genuine place and it's, it has, like, facts attached to it and you feel this way because of something, then fine, but let's talk about it. Not everyone, like, for example, and we've even talked about that, sometimes even I and you, when we see someone who looks a certain way, we're immediately associating it with stereotypes that make us panic, and then oh, yeah. I On have the plane, to plane, I look at everyone. So, like, isn't that kind of crazy? Like to come from there where everybody like I come from a place where having a beard and looking a certain way is totally fine. It's personal choice. And it doesn't mean that you're a radical. It doesn't mean you're a religious anything. And I come from a place where it kind of meant that in the nineties. So I look at these people and I wonder, even though I know that empirically most terrorists in Algeria didn't have, I mean, beards some had or beards, anything. but the ones in the cities, like, they I mean, they would probably try to blend in. Exactly. Right? Like, yes. isn't that it's sneakier? Than and that. so it's kind of like, 
it's awful that we do that. Like, I think it's awful that, you know, I have to check myself and be like, no, this is a person who has the freedom to dress and do whatever they want, just like I do. Except for that guy who flew in uh, the Paris or LA, the guy who had some dynamite in the shoe. So they could have called that. So, yeah, I, I mean, think because we all take off our shoes. Come on, guys. Security. How, not, how does he, that No, he's the guy. Uh, because like because of him we took off our shoes because yeah. he had put some like toothpaste explosive toothpaste in his soul but he looked the part i would have stopped him vet that guy i don't know i don't like this whole looking the part you know what happened in the middle but east he did you know what happened in the middle and east should have called that and now we have to when hipsters came about fool. okay when hipsters came about I remember that hearing in Egypt that some people were confused. They couldn't tell who's Muslim Brotherhood and who's hipster just because the pants hit right above the ankle. They all have the beards. They all. And I was just like, you know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. Why are we? Why are we stereotyping? If somebody looks a certain way, does not make them anything. Right. Like it does mean something about them, but it doesn't mean that they are hostile or going to kill us or whatever. Like that's ridiculous. Also, just because somebody has a beard doesn't mean he's Arab or Muslim. That's what I'd say. I mean, exactly. Obviously, like if you see like a nice Spanish guy with a beard, you're not going to have these ideas. So to me, it's not so much about the beard. It's really about being an Arab. Like if you smell of a Muslim, that's it. Whether you're a Sikh or so it's not really about the beard. It's really about being a Durka. Our Orientalism Expressed segment today is to recommend having more conversations like that, like the Carmichael show where they actually talk about things and address it in a way that's reasonable, that relates to the viewers, right? Like we are in a time where a lot of people are afraid and a lot of people, but here, I want to point out something. Do you remember how terrorism was like 24 seven covered by news? Like it was nonstop. It was like an attack out of nowhere. And it was like always like breaking news, terrorism, terrorism. Do you know why suddenly we feel like terrorism, the threat on America has decreased? It's because that airtime has been filled in with Trump time. And everything now is Trump, 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 Trump tweeted, Trump did this. And I wonder if we actually did a survey, how much safer do Americans feel now that they don't hear about terrorism 24-7? Because it was definitely exaggerated, just like Trump right now is being exaggerated. We don't have to talk about him that much. I mean... Seriously, like he's the president of America, but we don't need to know every little thing he does and critique it. Like, I don't care. I don't care. I have a life. Like, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know if you know what I mean. You know, absolutely. I think it's a great point about the whole safety, uh, you know, the, how the media can fuel a, a climate in people's mind. Absolutely. Like, do, we feel, do we not? Absolutely. But and and going back, back to, going it was back terrorism, to Hollywood, now it's Trump. And we should definitely wrap it up. <laughs> So for the Hollywood recommendation, I don't think it's about, I mean, we could talk, we could have these conversations, but I think it's time for Hollywood to, you know, pull it together and like give us a real character. Yeah, like get, some, just, get some Arab actors You and can see all the minorities. Some North Africans, get some... Other minorities know. are not there yet, but they're getting there. There's some oh, improvement. Yeah. I don't see any improvement on like the Arab Muslim front. I like, agree. So this is what we need, like just... Get creative. We'll just ship you to LA. And, Enough, you know, guides, uh, cowards, we'll shapes, terrorists. Like I can give you a list of things of non-halal characters. We'll just ship you to kosher. LA, and I'll I'll write a letter when I ship you there. I'll be like, let's Here's call an Ben actress. Affleck. Let Ben, ben Affleck. Affleck? Yeah. No, 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 no. You don't want to work with him right now. But he did Argo, so he 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 messed up in a way. But he did uh, stand up for the cause. I just I wouldn't recommend him generally speaking yeah but for now he's the only one who's spoken up about like you shouldn't stereotype arabs that's unfair um, so sure only right. one so i Wherever mean there's you a glimpse go. of hope over there i mean and it, i'm not a ben a lot, fan it takes a saying. lot more than that to be part of hollywood but nonetheless i i i personally rely more on european media yeah actually as a matter yeah, of we're fact district durkas i don't know if you january heard. 8th uh there's gonna be a gathering at six and i And it's about the M word and the M word here is the Muslim word. And it's actually all those news broadcasters from American television channels are going to come together and talk honestly about being an American, like an American Muslim broadcaster, which is going to be awesome because it's like some huge and amazing figures who write and talk about things. So that's going to be next Thursday, January. I'm sorry, February 8th. I said January 8th. It's going to be on a Thursday night. Yeah. So it's going to be great. I, I think we should definitely go to that. And I think we should definitely say goodbye. <laughs> so guys, this is District Durkas. Thank you for listening. This full service radio. 
and we're gonna let you enjoy your afternoon ciao guys Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>